In today's episode, I'll be talking with Claire McLeod. Claire is an independent equine nutritionist who's registered with the UK Association for Nutrition. She has expertise in equine health and fitness and provides advice and consultancy to horse owners, managers, vets, and the horse feed industry. She also offers an equine nutrition learning center, which is a searchable resource where you can find what you need to know quickly and easily. She's also a friend of Dressage Naturally, and I actually met her um, at some of my Dressage Naturally clinics in the UK, and she'll be sharing some of the most important aspects of feeding your horse to keep them healthy and happy. So here we go, episode 128, Equine Nutrition with Claire McLeod. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. All right. Welcome, Claire. Thank you so much for being on the pod. Well, hi, and thank you so much for inviting me. It's it's absolutely great to be here. I, I love your podcast. I've listened to it for a long time now, so it's really quite surreal to actually be speaking on it now. <laughs> yeah, we were just, um, Claire and I were just trying to figure out how long ago it was that we first met. Um, I had been doing Dressage Naturally Clinics in in the UK. And um, Claire, you said you audited a couple and then I got to meet your young horse, uh, which your young horse in one of them, which you were just sharing is now how old? <laughs> so we're yeah, trying well, to figure this... out how long ago it was. <laughs> I'm terrible at remembering things. I tend to remember by think odd things like horse years or something like that. And um, yeah, she was 15 now. So it must have been 12, 13 years ago when I first audited. And then I had the because um, yeah. yeah it was a it was a real young horse when I first uh, met her <laughs> oh my yeah, goodness she's still putting up with me now she's amazing and yeah I, I remember it vividly because you gave me some um just little pieces of help that made such a big difference to her and she honestly she learned her lateral movements from you at that clinic and ever since then she's found them really quite easy and I've had people comment on it and I always say that was Karen's teaching about walking into a halt into your lateral position honestly she picked that up instantly <laughs> wow wow yeah it is yeah. my favorite way to introduce it yeah so here's a young horse and you're probably thinking a four-year-old mm. how could karen be teaching the lateral work i'm like well you can do it at the halt right yeah exactly so, yeah so obviously claire is a uh, claire is a friend of dressage naturally and a friend of the pod and a nutritionist an equine nutritionist and this is a subject that I think is just so important. It's so important. And I find it really confusing in, in many ways. I think that the concepts are okay, but then when you go out and you try to, you know, you look at products and supplements and, you know, labels on stuff, and then you look at the horse in front of you and you're trying to match what it needs with, you know, what the plan is. And then every place is different. <laughs> And my head just starts to explode. So I'm always um, happy to speak with an equine nutritionist. And um, yeah, so one of the one of the things that you had mentioned, and I'd love for you to talk about is 
um, why is feeding horses well a key to their happiness? Because you know me, I'm big on horse happiness and human happiness too. But what does feeding have to do with their happiness? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think um, it does get very confusing and it and it can get very stressful for owners. And I think um, like you, I'm into kind of making life more happy for both horses and their owners. But just thinking about horse happiness for a minute. Um, well, a lot of owners are aware of the fact that horses are actually or they've evolved. They're meant they're designed to eat for about three quarters of their time. So that's either actually ingesting food or or in eating behavior. So, you know, 75, almost 75 percent of their behavior in any given 24 hours is involved in feed and food seeking, you know, food seeking um, activities. So it's really important for them to be fed in such a way that that's supported. And there's lots of research showing that if you don't um, respect that, then you can cause them to develop quite um, a range of abnormal behaviours. And it's obviously quite stressful for them. And it causes them some uh, physical challenges as well as the kind of psychological challenges. And I, I often say to owners, it's a bit like like trying to get your head around a horse eating for three quarters of the time. It's a bit like us having breakfast for four hours, then lunch for another four hours, and then dinner for over about nine hours. I mean, that's how long they will choose to spend eating if, if given them you know, the natural choice. So, you know, that's ridiculous for us to that get sounds like a, That sounds like a, a vacation I took in Italy once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Clearly their normal behaviour is tied into eating and, the, and a diet. Yeah, and, and I think it's interesting because we can, you know, talk a little bit about you know, what happens with their stomachs, you know, if they don't have food in it. But I think that's a really good point that there's the behavior too. And, you know, think of something that, you know, if you were so used to doing it and then it's taken away, I can imagine horses being like, I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> like, this is so strange to not be in an eating behavior if we take that away. Yeah. And there's plenty of research showing that they, they do have, um, a very high risk of developing abnormal behaviours like stereotypies like crib biting or box work, walking, wood chewing, if they don't have enough of their time budget spent eating. I mean, a lot of owners are more aware of that nowadays, but it's still something to consider, like when you're travelling horses or um, at clinics and that sort of situation, that they don't really normally fast for over four, maybe five hours um, naturally. They're just think they think about eating a lot is important to them <laughs> yeah yeah and what are some of the um you know more physiological things that can happen if they're not eating that that amount of time yeah yeah and that's a good point actually because it's both psych for psychological well-being and physical well-being that they need to spend a lot of time eating so they they don't um produce saliva unless they're chewing, generally, you get the odd one that does, but generally they don't produce saliva unless they're chewing, which means that um, if they're not chewing, what can happen is there's the acid in their stomach can build up. They produce stomach acid more or less all the time until they're fasted for long periods, and then that will sort of dry up. But basically they do produce that acid all the time, and the swallowing helps to buffer that acid and keep their stomach healthy. So their whole gut really is designed from beginning to end to... Uh, have food traveling through it for three quarters of a 24 hour time budget so they can have um the main 
challenge the main issue you get are stomach issues gastric issues and gastric ulcers but it does impact the rest of the gut as well yeah yeah and i think then you know i found we get into this um situation where you're trying to keep more food in front of them and balance that with the overweight horses and then you get into the slow feeder hay nets then you get into the like how you hang the hay net can affect their posture (laughs) and it gets i think it gets really um tricky to try to do that yeah, with especially with some horses, the horses, some are easy, you just like turn them out on grass, <laughs> and they're fine. But some can be quite tricky to manage that. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And that's a, it's what a lot of owners struggle with. Um, my own horses are good, very good doers. And if you fed them exactly as nature intended without really maybe adjusting their forage by soaking hay or mixing in straw or just seeking out very low calorie hay then exactly that's what you get then to the issue of them putting on too much weight becoming a beast and then all the problems that are linked to that the 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 big one being laminitis which is so common um throughout the world actually and we have such amazing grass over here in england um well throughout the uk to be honest we have such amazing grass and it's a big problem for horses it's it's a great feed for them it's a natural feed is good for their guts, good for their mind, especially when they're out in herds. But then they can end up, you know, having their life cut short because laminitis can be fatal. So it's 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 not an easy thing to give them enough forage, but keep their body weight healthy. Yeah. And so you just mentioned some things of um, soaking hay or you said adding some straw. Like what are some strategies that you've used uh, to help those kind of horses yeah and i think well first of all the slow feeders as you mentioned i mean they're, they're they can be really really useful um you're right you have to think about how they affect their posture i think if you have horses without shoes you've got a little bit more um flexibility there because you can have nets or these pillows on the ground where you know you haven't got that risk of them getting a hoof caught because of a shoe so that does make it a bit easier and you get lots of different slow feeders and I don't know what you've got available in the US but certainly in the UK we have a couple of um, we have a few different options for barrels or feeders with plastic grids in the top that just slow them down but help their posture to be more normal so these can these can be quite useful but then thinking about the for, thinking about the forage i mean the key you know the, the key thing is to try and get as close to ad lib as possible so in doing that with a very good doer do you call them good doers in the u.s yeah easy keepers but but good doers like i understand that term but easy keeper easy keepers <laughs> that's it yeah so you're a classic easy keeper that you know it's a bit, oh, i'm an easy keeper you know you kind of look at food and you put on weight um so for them the it's really important if you can to get as low calorie forage as you can because then you can feed enough of it and you don't have to limit too much um and really good quality hay mixed grass species hay good quality way oversupplies calories for an easy keeper or a good doer that's not especially one that's not doing much exercise so then then you have to think about how you can reduce those calories and soaking hay is far from ideal you know it creates um contaminated water really it's in in hot in a situation where you've got the summertime and the temperatures are high it can go off so you gotta be careful with that but for some owners and quite a lot of horses and ponies over here in the uk it's 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 really the only option the owners have got to try and reduce the calories of hay so that they can feed more of it and yeah i mentioned straw straw can be quite useful um i think horse owners used to be a bit scared of straw because of the idea of maybe it causing impactions 
Um, but if you introduce it very gradually, you have you have um, clean hygienic straw, preferably unsprayed if you can get that, and you introduce it gradually and they've got good teeth and free access to clean, fresh water, then it can be fed up to about a third of the total forage intake quite safely for most horses. And that can be a really good way of just uh, fulfilling their need to chew and have forage, but not giving them too many calories. Nice, nice. Yeah, and um, and then with the soaking of the hay, how much does that change the nutritional profile of the hay? And does that change like any the need for additional supplementation does it depend or um, does a good vitamin mineral mix anyway kind of cover that yeah yeah it's a good question so it's it's a, it's a really difficult one to answer and I often feel like I'm dodging answering questions <laughs> when I say well it depends yeah well, that's real life isn't it so it depends entirely on what you start with I mean that's the thing about hay it does vary quite widely even just mixed species grass hay varies quite widely depending on um, when it was cut, whether it was fertilised. There's a whole lot of different um, factors that affect what it contains in terms of calories, protein and sugars and fructan. So when you soak it, and what you end up with is does depend on what you begin with. And yes, there are there will be some losses of minerals. Um, vitamins, you kind of assume there's not many left anyway, certainly A&E. Um, you will lose some minerals. You're you're soaking it to lose calories and some sugar and fructan. Protein losses, there's, there's kind of, it's not really agreed in the research yet what the protein losses are. I think they're probably quite variable. Most horses have relatively low protein requirements, um, just regular adult horses that aren't growing or um, producing babies. <laughs> um, so that's not quite so much of a concern. So yeah, a good vitamin mineral supplement is usually enough if you're, soaking hay but if you're soaking for long periods and the horse or pony doesn't have access to any grass at all then it's worthwhile adding a small amount of good quality protein as well or or it's even essential amino acids a product with them um, the essential amino acids like I'm getting a bit technical here but lysine methionine three three and the three most important amino acids and they're the building blocks of protein so if any any doubt about the protein quality that's left after you've soaked you can add these essential amino acids nice Nice. That's good information. Um, now, what about the other end of the spectrum is the horses who you have trouble keeping weight on them. And we might think, oh, that's easy. Just feed them more. <laughs> yeah. uh, but are there any considerations with those types or what sort of things should they be eating more of? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, that's a good question. And I know they often get left out. <laughs> We have all these overweight horses that we're dealing with pulling our hair out about, trying to keep them, you know, happy without too many calories. And then you get the owners like, well, excuse me, mine actually doesn't maintain weight very well. And, you know, that can almost be more stressful because you can't make horses eat <laughs> if they're not fussed about food. And sometimes the, the poor doers, the ones that struggle to maintain weight, sometimes they just aren't so interested in food. Like if you look at horses in the pasture, they're the one that's standing there looking into the distance um, while all the others are munching away. And generally, grass is a good feed for them, but they're not always, because if you have one that um, is a bit sensitive to grass, they get maybe footy or they've even had laminitis in the past. Even though they're too thin, you've just got to still be a bit careful about their grass intake. So the easy one, just give them plenty of grass. Um, the not so easy one, 
then certainly the first thing is to pay attention to the forage. So if, say, you haven't got much access to grass, you're in somewhere where you don't have much grass, then um, the opposite thing, you want to try and source earlier cuts, higher nutrition value forage. Always start with that. Always start with the forage because it makes your life so much easier and it's better for the horse to basically get as many nutrients as you can from the forage and then just put in a bucket what, what the forage doesn't supply. So that would be the number one. Try to find the best nu- nutritional quality forage that you can. Mm. Is is there um, is there ever a need for the bag of grain? <laughs> There's so many bags of horse feed out there. Um, you know, compared to like, you know, forage, salt, vitamins, minerals, you know, when is there a need for the the bag, <laughs> the bag at the feed store? Yeah, that, that bag, <laughs> of which there's a choice of, well, not millions, but it feels like millions sometimes. Yeah, and then that's, I was going to kind of talk on to that and then I thought I'll pause, but yeah, that that, yeah, that's your next step is um, if so if you're feeding ad lib forage, so free choice forage, and you've found a forage that is nutritious, but also that the horse likes because it's important that it's it's a forage that they'll eat plenty of and they like. But once you've uh, once you've done that, I will move on past forage eventually. <laughs> once you've done that and you really can't force the horse to eat any more forage, if they're then still not maintaining weight, yeah, absolutely. You're going to have to add something else. Now, I think, you know, even compared to when I started in this work, oh, two and a half decades ago, uh, we've got so much choice now in throughout the world. There are some countries a little bit less choice, but certainly in the US and the UK, we're very spoiled with choice, with concentrate feed. And the beauty is now you you have got high digestible fibre, low starch uh, concentrate feed that you can then feed plenty of. Because if you do just feed grain or grain-based feeds, you're very limited with how much you can feed for the horse to digest it properly. Uh, It's really important to feed starchy grain in very small quantities so that they can digest it. And then you've also got to watch because they, there's quite a few horses that are sensitive to starchy grain. So if they're prone to stomach ulcers, they tie up. Um, They've had, they've ever had insulin dysregulation or they've been obese in the past, or they've got EMS, even though they're thin now, then you don't want to be feeding them grain as the source of calories um, so trying to find a compound that's high in digestible fiber and low in starch, ideally under about 10% starch, those are probably more sort of health sense, health, fo- sorry, horse focused, uh, concentrate feeds. Yeah. Awesome. So less than 10% starch, what sort of numbers, like if you're reading a label, um, what are some numbers that you would want to look for? Yeah, that, that's a good question because with marketing, sometimes it's quite difficult to to actually find what you need from a nutrient point of view. You've got all these names, it <laughs> is. The, the products. So if you look, if you if you want a concentrate that you can feed plenty of, if you've really got a slim horse and they need some extra calories to get their weight back on, and they need um, a, a good amount of concentrate feed, then it's something with about ten percent starch or lower total starch and sugar about 15 percent or lower and fiber ideally over 10 percent cool. up at 15 or even more percent uh, fiber then you, then you know that 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 feed's probably going to have a good level of um digestible fiber and relatively low levels of starchy green and and then oil if you look for slightly higher oil feeds six percent oil or thereabouts a little bit higher that would also be um a good feed for just um 
not overwhelming the gut with too much starch. Awesome. Yeah, I, I find, um, yeah, label reading is, is an art and a science in itself, because not all... Uh, not all labels are using the same units of measure <laughs> and they don't list things the same way. So I personally find reading labels quite, quite uh, confusing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good point. And it's, it's, it's one thing with feed, uh, slightly different rules according to where you are in, in the world. The UK has a basic um, proximate feed analysis that manufacturers have to put on their sacks. So it gives you a little bit of an idea, but they don't actually have to declare starch. So you might have to ask for that level. And then if it's supplements, then that's a bit of a nightmare because they're often um, declared per kilo, not per daily serving. So that gets complicated as well. So it can be a bit tricky to to work out whether that product actually is going to be useful for your horse. Yeah. And and I guess that's that's a uh one of the reasons why being able to have a nutritional consultation <laughs> if you've got tricky issues, you know, can be so valuable. And, and, you know, that's of course one of the things um, that you offer. And I've, I've done that with my horses at a moment. I was like, I just like, let me call a nutritionist <laughs> and tell me what to do. And it's so helpful because you can really get a chance to, you know, talk about, well, my horse is this age and is this big and in this kind of work and it's out on this kind of grass and I have this kind of hail available. And it's so much easier to um, let a professional <laughs> get you pointed in the right direction, um, I find. So those those consults must be very satisfying to be able to do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's interesting. You've had that done. And did you manage to find an independent person who could give you like a choice of products? Yes. Yeah. 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 She didn't, she yeah. wasn't connected with any brand. <laughs> yeah. That, and that's, um, that, that's important. Which is, and, which is know, and that's, you're, you're an independent. Yeah. 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 And it's, um, it's, I suppose it's the, the one thing that's, um, that, that sets me apart. And I think it's important because I think it's, it's, even if you trying to be unbiased, if you're attached to a company and they're paying your salary, then you've kind of got to, recommend their products even though you might recommend others but yeah I think that the independence is important and also then you can give that owner a, a choice of different products depending on what they can get hold of or what's local to them or what's within their budget so you've got that knowledge of as an independent you've got that knowledge of different brands and you know give give the owner some choice about what they can they, they can feed and there's an awful lot of confusion so I think yeah that's that's where um I do love my job where I have an owner say at the end of a consult, oh, I just feel you really clarified things and I feel much more relaxed about it now because I know that what I'm doing is correct for the horse and I haven't been sort of hoodwinked by marketing or somebody saying that I should be doing this or I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And so is that something um, that that a nutritionist, uh, I'm thinking of people Googling and trying to find a nutritionist. Is that something that they have to say whether they're associated with a brand or is it something you have to like look for whether they say independent or not? Like what's, is there a industry best practices with this or you just have to kind of look, <laughs> look at their website and see who's sponsoring it sort of thing. Like how, how do people know besides of course, just calling you, <laughs> yeah. but how do people know in their area if they're, if someone's independent or not? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that you, you 
generally your independent nutritionists will promote the fact they're independent because they know that that's what that owner is going to be looking for if they want independent advice that they they can use in the uk we have a body called the association for nutrition and they're trying to make the term nutrition nutritionist protected in the same way as a a veterinary therapist physiotherapist in the uk is as a protected term which would be brilliant because then um you you know that somebody calling themselves a nutritionist was properly qualified because the the issue we have is anybody can call themselves a nutritionist whether or not they're independent um so it is a little bit buyer beware you have to really check out the the qualifications and information on on your chosen nutritionist's website or grill them a little bit to make sure that they actually do have a proper qualification and not just a weekend course really (laughs) wow that's really good to know yeah that's a really important um fact and um speaking of qualifications so you also have a master's in exercise physiology and i think those are just two really um powerfully powerful skill sets there and and uh, related, I'm sure. So I was, I'm just curious um, how your expertise and knowledge in exercise physiology and nutrition work together. Yeah, it is an interesting one, isn't it? I think, I mean, we, ultimately, we keep horses for their athletic ability. Now, not all the horses are as, as, as athletic as others. Um, and certainly some don't do too much athletic endeavouring in their lives. But generally, we keep horses for their you know athletic abilities rather than production. So if you if you go towards more animal nutrition um, in your qualifications or your studies, you'll you'll have an awful lot of production animal um, teaching and understanding. And, you know, exercise is really quite different from the production of meat or milk or or something else. And I just felt I've always been fascinated by exercise and physiology. And I remember learning quite a bit in my undergraduate degree about um, exercise and how, how the body works, the human or the horse or any species body works when it starts exercising and how tied that is in with nutrition. And also how important I that it is for horses to move in order to stay healthy. So when I was looking into master's study, um, I really wasn't really particularly taken on with the straight animal nutrition masters that were available. They were very production agriculture focused. I didn't feel that would be as useful to my um, my career or, or or the information I could offer to owners. Really, uh, plus I'm passionate and, and very interested in exercise and how you can transform your body or your horse's body from a couch potato to you know a marathon or. I think you've run a marathon, haven't you, Karen? So you've been through that. <laughs> I did. I did one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did a half. So I, I didn't do as well as you. I did a half marathon and I never quite made it to the marathon. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's still out there waiting for you when you're ready. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> Maybe one day. But, you know, I just felt that, you know, the, the studying the exercise side of things would be more um, useful to my career in, in the nutrition side specifically to do with horses and so there's the exercise phys studies were with humans and horses um which was actually really useful as well and that covered oh all sorts of areas including nutrition obviously and I just found that that's really really helpful so even if I'm working with owners that maybe don't work or exercise their horses just that knowledge of how movement and natural exercise helps the health and 
of the body of the horse can be really helpful. And then, of course, if I'm working with owners who are um, doing athletic endeavours with their horses and they've got sports horses, then it's incredibly useful. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important to take, you know, that step back from just the narrow focus and anything that moves towards a more holistic view of any problem, I think is going to um, help, help solve it better. So I love that you have those two areas um, to draw upon because, because I think, yeah, they are related. And it's um, so I'm going to, I get really excited for a couple of reasons, just because of this topic and from what you offer. And I think this is a good time to, you know, we mentioned that you have a consultant um, offering so people can get consults from you, but you also have this really cool um, equine nutrition learning center um, where you have, uh, it's, it's like a searchable reference where you can go on there and look up topics you need and find um, instructional videos about them. So maybe um, take a, a minute just to talk about what that resource is, is like. So, you know, we only have a short podcast here, um, but people <laughs> might have more questions yeah. before we go even more. And I'll leave a link to all this in the show notes for anybody listening. But yeah, if you could just describe uh, maybe the the two resources and help people understand, like, when do they need a consult? And when would the learning um, resource the um, learning center um, be the place to start yeah yeah it's a good question so i think they so the learning center came long after i was doing consultations most my work's really quite varied but in terms of work with horse owners uh, the main work was these one-to-one consultations but you know it's like i just got so busy that um i couldn't help everybody that was needing help and also had owners that wanted help but maybe didn't want to invest the amount that a one-to-one cost and I'd written a book but unfortunately it was quite popular and sold out and I haven't finished the new edition yet so there wasn't really any resource that I could offer owners that wasn't the one-to-one and that's where I decided it was it was silly I could put all this information together quite easily um on in a online link to my website with this um learning center that then owners could access whenever they wanted and so it's like an extended book, but online and it's searchable um, and it's membership based. So owners can dip in and out. They can carry on a monthly membership if they want to use it whenever they want. Um, there's also a private uh, Facebook community. Private, I think, important because then people can just ask whatever they want without feeling that it's a silly question. I'm not going to get jumped on by anybody on a, an open group. Um, and I jump on there from time to time. So the members of this nutrition learning centre can get access um, when I'm on there to me to discuss bits and pieces and ask questions. That the learning centre is great for owners that just want to get answers to, get answers to the questions and learn a little bit more. Nice, but nice. for owners that are really stuck with exactly what to feed their horse or they've got specific issues with their individual horse, then the one to one is still best because I can really get in a bit deeper and help them with that individual horse. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And um, I wanted to um, bring this up because I want to take a little sidestep from nutrition. Uh, and when we come back from this little sidestep, um, we'll wrap up uh, this podcast by um, having you share what like the one most important factor is to feed your horse well, and also um, ask you if you have a, a success, a nutritional success story that you could um, share. I love 
stories, but, but related to um, what you offer, you know, with these consults, but then also like taking the extra step to put together a resource that people can easily access themselves is so valuable and so important um, for people to be able to have. And um, we also work together, not just with your little young horse, but in the um, Transform Your Horse Business uh, two-day seminar that I put on once a year. And uh, you took part in that one year. And I just, for listeners, um, I did ask Claire and she gave me permission to ask her about this um, because it's it's professionals like you that have so much value to give that I'm so passionate about helping. Um, you know, you really give a great resource to the world and, and there's so many people who don't take that extra step or they're not confident to take that extra step or they just don't have any time to take that extra step. And, and like you did. So I was wondering if you could just take a minute to think about, you know, the other professionals that might've been like you, like, can you describe a little bit about what your challenges were um, before you came to the Transforming Business Seminar and just how it helped you? Because, and actually I think this can help anybody, anybody who's sort of running their own <laughs> sole proprietor business out there. Um, so I, I really appreciate you saying that you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be delighted because it really did. I mean, it sounds so corny, but it really did transform my business. There's, you know, and Karen's not paying me to say this. But no, I sure I just didn't. make that clear because I just, um, I, <laughs> I just, I, you know, I'm the classic horse lover. You know, I, I, I'm I'm so fortunate. I get to work with my, the subject I love most, and not just the horse lover bit, but I'm an absolute lover of science. I love to learn passionate about science so I was so excited to be able to forge a career blending the two the science and the horses but you know a, a business isn't a natural talent of mine it's not something I've really learned enough about over the years and I did really struggle to um, run my business in such a way that it could look after itself I suppose and I remember somebody saying to me once your business is like an animal you need to look after it and um nurture it but you also obviously need to nurture yourself when you're running your own business because then if not you get burnt out and then the business suffers and it was a classic thing I just didn't want to charge horse owners very much and um, wanted to help everybody all the time and it was really quite tricky when I got busy because I just was chasing my tail the whole time and the transform your business I mean I, I knew you Karen and I knew the quality of your work so I knew it would be good i it was easy for me to sign up and go ahead with it. I knew it'd be good. I've also watched your own business and how that's changed over the years with very um, keen eyes. And I've liked what I've seen. So I thought, yeah, this is a good idea. And I think what was brilliant about it was it was a very inspiring, which was helpful. But the the main thing was it was very practical. So you actually gave practical information about what to do to create a better business and um, therefore have a better lifestyle really so I, I found I picked up practical information that I took forward um, and started doing and it, and it made a big difference and it, it, it sounds silly because I kind of should have known but you just kind of when you're in the middle of it and you're busy and you love your work you just forge ahead and you don't take time often to stop and sit back and really review things um, and I was the classic horse loving 
business person who was getting burnt out, I think, to be honest, because I was getting busier, wanted to look after and help everybody and was just not taking the time for myself and my own horses, really. Classic. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what's really hard. And it's why I want to support the heart-centered people like you, because you know, the ones who want to give and want to share and want to help, the trouble is that those are the ones that are going to burn out. And like, no, no, we need you. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're the kind of people that we need. So I'm, I'm just thrilled because, you know, just looking at what you offer now, and to, to know that um, it is more sustainable, and you are more confident to put yourself out there. I think people don't realize, you know, that, professionals like you who you know seem to know what you're doing that you know we all struggle from imposter syndrome and confidence and it's hard to put yourself out there in this Facebook world right absolutely (laughs) and uh, I just want to really commend you for for going for it well thank you for sharing a little bit about that and and hopefully it'll inspire somebody else that like it it gets better (laughs) it gets better it can oh definitely awesome yeah. And you, you mentioned, um, you had talked to, uh, mentioned to me about, you know, how like just managing your time is such a big part of it. And, uh, at the, at the seminar, we actually have a professional productivity expert that comes in and, and works with us too. So yeah, we hit, we hit every, we hit all the important parts. <laughs> no, no, def- definitely. And very practically. And that's why I think was so useful because like, you know, I've spent so many, oh goodness, thousands and thousands and thousands of hours and a lot of money on my scientific education. I've spent a huge amount of hours on my gathering experience about my work and my nutrition, but I haven't spent that much time on just running my own business. And it, when looking back, it's, you know, for an intelligent person, I was a bit daft really, just expect I could do it all. So actually just taking some really good advice and then putting some things into practice and the, the time block and the time planning has been a huge thing. Um, I thought I was quite organized, but when I started writing things down, oh, goodness me, I wasn't. (laughs) Hey, everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are going to be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls, and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before, so it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now, the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. All right, so now we will return back to the nutrition. I would love, um, do you have any stories, a nutritional success story? that you can share just, you know, I think sometimes it's nice to kind of see a, 
individual example of like, okay, here was the problem and here's how it changed. Yeah, well, the, the first one that comes to mind is is about it's about performance horses, and it it still does relate to everybody's horses. But it was such a fundamental um, change um, in health for these horses that I was working with, and the the owner I'm actually still working with now. Oh goodness, probably about ten years on. I went to see him just the other day, um, and they're race horses. Interestingly, I don't work with a huge amount of race horses because the 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 trainers or the the managers tend to use feed companies for their advice. He wanted, he just pulled a nutritionist in to double check that he was doing all he could. And um, when I went into to visit him and his, his his yard of horses, he had had some advice about their feed, and I'm not quite sure what it was from. I think it I don't think it was a vet, but he had some advice that he was overfeeding salt, mm. and that he needed to stop feeding salt. Um, added salt for their diets and they, they didn't have any salt blocks and when I looked in into them and assessed the diets it was quite clear these horses would be really very deficient in sodium and he wasn't particularly happy with how they were performing um, so you know everything else was pretty good about the management and the diet the, the feed that he was using the feeding, feeding plenty of forage everything else was pretty good but I said to him, right, come on, you've got you've got to get some sodium into these horses. They're they're lo- they're losing all this sodium in their sweat. You're working them hard. They're they're performance horses. So he changed the diets and added salt, and they were absolutely transformed. And you know, it's such a simple little thing. Um, and I, I mean, a lot of horse owners realise that you do have to add salt when your horse sweats. They they lose a lot of salt, so you have to add it into the diet. Um, but he'd actually been advised not to just because of some fashion or fad that too much salt was a bad thing. And so he was following what he believed were, were good recommendations, um, which was a shame, really. But he was over the moon because the, the transformation, how these horses were able to work and their recovery rates was brilliant because they were basically just really short of sodium. Wow. Um, and so that was that was a really, really simple one. Um, but it was just great to see the transformation in these, these horses and how much better they were. Oh, that's, I mean, that's nice because it's nice to know sometimes it can be simple. (laughs) You just have to know which simple thing to change. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. On on the subject of salt, um, are there, there, I know there's different kinds of salt, at least here there are, it's like regular salt, iodized, not iodized, Himalayan, Redmond salt, like is, are there any tips on what kind of salt? Yeah, that's a good question. And some owners will actually sometimes use light salt, potassium chloride as well. So basically, you're just really using salt to replenish sodium that's been lost in sweat. Excuse me. So any kind of sodium chloride is fine. You can, you know, if you want to to use Himalayan or sea salt or something like that, that's absolutely fine. But really, it's the sodium the horse's body needs. So as long as it's sodium chloride, that that's the main thing and then iodized salt you we don't have that so much in the uk and that can be really useful because forage diets are a little bit low in iodine um so if you've got a vitamin and mineral supplement that doesn't have quite enough iodine in then adding iodized salt is quite useful you do want to be careful and double check how much iodine your vitamin supplement has just so that you're not overdoing it that's the other the other challenge um but yeah sodium chloride and that would be for most exercising horses if you're if you're doing endurance if you're one of these um people that love to 
sit and sit, you know, ride for hours and hours and hours on end <laughs> at quite high rates, actually, at quite high speeds. And the horses are sweating over extended periods of time or the horse is in very hard work um, in a hot country. Then you want to mix a half and half low or light salt, which is um, a salt you can get in supermarkets. It's designed for people with high blood pressure. It's a mix of potassium chloride and sodium chloride. So you mix half of that with half sodium chloride. And that's a better electrolyte mixture for horses that are in hard work or very extended periods of work. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Would that apply to just um, to horses in, in hot climates, like in Florida here in the summer for months, it's hot all the time? Or does it really have to be like more constant exertion for long periods of time? Yeah, I think... Yeah, um, more exertion. I did visit okay. Florida once many years ago. Actually, it was fabulous. I need to come. I need to come back one day. <laughs> come lovely. visit me. But yeah, it was very do. hot as well. It was yeah. it was winter time. Yeah. I would I'd love to. <laughs> That'd be brilliant. Cool. But yeah, I think really, you know, even if they're sweating, even if they're sweating in relatively light work or even sweating in the field, the potassium wouldn't really come in unless they were um, exerting themselves. Okay. heavily or over extended periods of time because actually most forages oversupply potassium so you wouldn't necessarily need to add it until they're losing an awful lot of sweat gotcha great tip awesome all right claire well you've given me lots of your time i'm gonna can you to wrap this up if there was one, <laughs> I always hate these questions, like one thing, like there's never one thing, but what is, <laughs> I'll ask it anyway, what's the one most important factor in ensuring you feed your horse well? There you go. See if you can answer that. <laughs> yeah. Now for, for a change, I'm going to give you a very definitive answer. I'm, I'm so well known for saying it depends and then reeling off a whole paragraph. But this is a really definitive answer. And I've changed this answer from what I used to say maybe a decade ago through my practice, through working with so many owners and their horses. And what I would say now is that the most the one most important factor to ensure you feed your horse well is to just monitor them, monitor their health and monitor their body condition, their fat and muscle covering consistently, always. And don't give up on it. Like even if you're weight taping them and you're um, just to look at changes in body fat and you're weight taping them every couple of weeks and it's staying the same throughout a few seasons, and you think, oh, yeah, that's OK. Keep doing it. Keep doing it because it's so easy to just things to get away from you and suddenly your horse has lost a lot of weight or they've put a lot on so that monitoring them consistently will allow you to adjust their diet and that's really the most important thing i'd say yeah that is awesome <laughs> i love it really great i i'm i'm so um impressed by the definitive answer because i'm a big it depends person myself so well done <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Claire. It's been great talking to you. And um, if I have other nutritional uh, questions, will you come back and visit me here on the podcast again? Oh, I'd be delighted to. Now, thank you very much for inviting me. It's, it's great to be here. And yeah, I'd love to come. I could speak about nutrition until the cows come home, go back out and come <laughs> home about 100 times. <laughs> I've always got plenty to say about the subject. Great. Well, and for listeners, I will leave the link in the show notes, which you can find on many places where you listen to the podcast or on my website. Um, but it's equine nutritionist, equine nutritionist 
com. Is that correct? That's it. Yeah, that's it. Awesome. And that's where you can find all about Claire and her consults and her Equine Nutrition Learning Center. Thank you again. Oh, thank you. It's been great talking with you. Thanks for having me, Karen. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.